0: Well, hello everyone. My name is Mirte, and today we have our fourth episode of the Mesa Idol podcast. As our guest, we invited Rachel von der Merwe, who is a teacher for media studies. Hello, Rachel. Hello. Thanks for having me. So uh, as an introduction, could you tell something about yourself? Uh, who are you? Where did you study? Kind of a small story.
1: Yeah. So um, I'm originally from South Africa. I grew up in Cape Town and then my family moved to the United States uh, when I was a teenager. So I did... I finished high school and university and grad school in the United States, um, all over the place. But I did my uh, my Ph.D. was in um, in media studies at the University of Colorado, Boulder. Um, and I studied. Uh, so I studied national identity and the roles that uh, media plays in informing national identity, specifically for young South Africans. So I was looking at. Um, historically a lot of like the research around national identity formation media is about traditional media so um, books and movies and things like that and I was really interested in the fact that in South Africa um, the internet was becoming a, um, a, a private entity the internet was entering into our homes um, around the same time that South Africa became a new nation so the internet became a public thing around the 90s. Um and my my both my parents were um computer programmers, and we were very in- involved in computer things and so the the digital was always a big part of my childhood growing up in south africa um, and at the same time, South Africa became a new nation in nineteen nineteen ninety four when we held our first democratic elections and so it was just very late in the game <laughs> to, to decolonize completely and start a new whole whole world so that you have this like country who's also engaged in the internet the same time that it's developing itself and so i was just super fascinated in that intersection of things and because what makes the, the internet so unique is the internet is also what has connected us globally and so you have a whole generation of young people south africans who are you know connecting now with people around the world through the, the internet at the same time that they're thinking about what does it mean to be south african and um so yeah that's kind of yeah very interesting <laughs> yeah. it's kind of all over the place as you
0: said <laughs> so uh i can imagine that as a student you have had a lot of experience and uh different experience as well so could you tell us something about your most memorable memorable experience as a student
1: as like an undergrad or as a postgrad like doing my
0: graduate studies i think both just if you have oh. uh, if you can think of something just tell us <laughs> i've been in school for so long
1: <laughs> so that's like trying to pick one memory um i mean sorry when I was in undergrad, when I was doing my BA, I did it in film school um, and, or f- film production. And so that was, but at the same time, I was also studying um, the great books, which is like literature and philosophy. Um, so I got to do both of those at the same time, which I think was a really unique experience because I was both doing very humanities oriented research as an undergraduate. And then I was making stuff my, all my weekends. I was, you know, pulling all nighters to make films and, you know, went to we went to Sundance as a, as a program as well, which is the big film festival in, in the U.S. And that was my undergrad was getting to like run around, make t- make stories, tell stories, and then also read lots of stories. So I think maybe that's super memorable and kind of what because I left, I didn't go straight back to grad school. I I took some time off and I I missed yeah I missed that that sort of environment, which is what kind of led me back to grad school.
0: Yeah, I understand. And um, well, if you look back at teaching now, yeah, uh, and the students you work with nowadays, do you have like some form of recognition with the students nowadays? If you compare it to your own student life, or um,
1: yeah, of, of course. I think the big difference is that I'm, I think here because I went to smaller liberal arts colleges in the United States, where um, our classrooms were a little bit smaller and we would go over to our professors' homes quite a bit, like they would have us over, which is just not the culture here uh, as much. Um, so for me, it's I've always had an experience of, of an education where my professors were also mentors and like, fig- you know, there were figures of my, I was regularly in the office, you know, thinking about my life and working through some sort of the intersection of everything. There was like, there was a personal aspect to it. So this has been a little bit different because it feels, it's a little bit more, cost from sizes are bigger and things like that. But, um, but that's also, I think, kind of what's informed the way that I teach, too, is like, that's very much the kind of experience that I had, and I, I want to be that kind of figure for my students. But the um, similarities, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think the curiosity that was so important to me as a student, I see that in all my students here, too. And um, I also feel like, I mean, especially I, I I was with your group, your class this whole year, and... There's something really cool about the fact that all of us were brand new here together and yeah. that was really fun to have like a year of what's going on, how do we figure out these things, like figuring out the roch, and like for me if you know especially was figuring out the Netherlands because I'd never been here before. Um but uh yeah, I do remember the <laughs> long hours of studying and trying to prepare exams like all of that yeah, I resonate with too.
0: Yeah, and as you uh as you mentioned, you're only here for the first year. So Uh, if you look back at this year, uh, did you find a way to combine your personal life and hobbies, like, um, you're very interested in gaming, for example, Mm -hmm. have you found ways to, um, really use those, um, well, your hobbies as methods to keep students motivated and active during online classes, since everything was (laughs) been online this year? I mean, I feel like you should be
1: answering that question since you were my student. Um, I don't know if I succeeded, um. I mean, for, yeah, I think something, I think because for me as well, I was, I was going through a lot of what you guys were going through just at a different level. I think I was thinking a lot about, um, our, all of our mental health. And I think, you know, sometimes when we, when we don't have our classrooms, when when I, when we were going to class at the university, it's easy to sort of think about these worlds as different, you know, now I'm home, this is school, different worlds. And then the pandemic, really collapsed that where you you were in your bed, most of you were in your bedrooms teaching classes and it collapsed those two worlds, the personal and the, and the educational. But the reality is that they've always been somewhat collapsed, right? They've yeah. always been um, involved, but we, before we were able to compartmentalize it better. And I think this pandemic has forced all of us, especially professors too, because we were also having to, it was our personal lives and our teaching were combined. We had to really think through what are the ways in which our personal lives do affect what we bring to the classroom um and for me that was you know one of the reasons why i kept asking all my students okay what are you doing for self-care you know and are you are you going for walks like and and also can we just like crowdsource this? like can we all come together in the classroom and come up with ideas and um yeah, so I think at least I try to create space to do that. I'm forgetting what, what your actual question was you were asking. <laughs> like, if you uh, use yeah.
0: methods to keep students motivated and active, like uh, methods you um, found in your hobbies or... Yeah, well, so I was
1: teaching a story lab last block. And one of the things that myself and my um, co-teacher, Robert Chuzzle, were doing... Um, where we actually recorded our lectures as podcasts so that the students didn't have to be sitting staring at their screen while they're listening to them so they could go we tell them go for walks and listen to our like lectures that way um or you can like li- a lot of them just lay on the couch and just like relax so that was something we did um i did try to assign for a lot of my classes whenever i could sneak in a video game i stuck on like fun <laughs> things like that in my third block i taught thinkers and theories um which is a advanced theory class for the third years and I assigned them music albums to go with because they were reading all this very heavy theory every week. And then I also, we were talking about decoloniality and I said, okay, part of decoloniality too is thinking about the ways in which knowledge is not just what comes from the academy or from, or from the university, but also knowledge is embodied and produced by artists. Um, and so I had them listen to music albums every week that were musicians that were also thinking through the ideas that we were talking about, but they were doing it in a creative fashion. So. And that became fun, too, to kind of, like, you know, talk about that kind of music. Um, Yeah, and it was exciting. I mean, I know in, like, your class, several of you were doing creative endeavors as well. So it was fun (laughs) to see what you guys were doing outside of that. Um,
0: Yeah, I gotta say, as you said, um, for me, personally, it was, uh, as you said, uh, the line between your uh, school life and your personal life just became almost nothing because you're in your bedroom the whole day. So, um, yeah, of course, the school life really does affect your personal life in a way that you're always busy with it it becomes kind of your personal life so uh yeah the creative aspect is really important into that so do you think that those creative uh aspects like the podcasts and stuff that you use during your teaching ways uh do you think you could uh, manage to continue those uh, continue using those during physical classes once they are possible again
1: yeah absolutely i think that's um I think Robert and I plan to keep doing those because um, I think hopefully we'll teach StoryLab again next year. So we're planning on doing that. And um, I know um, like Susanna has asked me to to talk about it in our stock meeting about what we did with the podcast and kind of give some examples because, yeah, those are absolutely things that, I mean, even next year, we don't know about like how lectures are going to be, but they, right now they're still saying that if it's more than 75 students, we still have to do them digitally. And like, Honestly, when you're just if you're just doing a lecture where you're giving information, there's no reason why people necessarily have to be in the classroom. Um some of it is better to have interactive, but there are other forms of knowledge that would actually work well if cuz I think for some students too it it can be hard if you're in the classroom and you have to pay attention and you can't rewind, and I think for a lot of students being able to actually maybe not go to the live lecture but watch the recording and rewind it or do it at a slower pace or faster pace has actually been really helpful for stu- a lot of students. So I hope we keep doing things like that. I will want to still keep doing things like that, like creating sort of multimedia. And for me as well, I mean, I'm a media scholar and I try to bring that into the classroom too. So as much as I can, you know, shake up the kinds of things that I have you guys reading and engaging and like, yeah, please. You, like I want you to be playing games. I want you to be watching things. I want you to be trying and listening to podcasts. Um, so for me, yeah, I honestly, I didn't change a lot of what I do. I mean, I just, it
0: I just adapted it for the hybrid, but I do that kind
1: of stuff too in a, a regular classroom.
0: So would you say then, uh, I mean, at the beginning of this year, we had a few physical seminars, for example. Okay. Would you say that uh, if you compare it then with now, after a whole year of online classes, would you have done things differently if everything was like physical?
1: I mean, I do a lot of, like, for me, the embodied stuff is really important. And so the hardest part for me this past year was not being able to get you guys to move your bodies, <laughs> like, and actually get to do stuff like where we can actually, you know, get up and move into groups or, you know, actually make things. it's very hard on the online classes to get you to like do creative exercises. Um, Cause also like, I think I would like ask you guys to do something and then I have, can't, I have no idea if you guys are actually doing it, you know, yeah. it's just sort of like trust trustful of the community. So I think I'm just excited about also like, hey, it's a beautiful day. Like, let's go outside and do something, you know, things like that as well. Um, And there's just something about when you're in the same space as a person. A lot of the classes I teach, especially for like the third year level, requires a lot of vulnerability and honesty from the students. I ask a lot out of my students because we're dealing with like sensitive subjects. That's very hard to do digitally. so I'm really excited about getting to be in the same space where we can actually create a physical environment that feels safe and welcoming, and um, that's just you can't you can't do that online. So for me, the big things that are going to change is 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 creating spaces, and also like for me, this is not in the classroom, but I'm just excited to make my have an office that is a space that students can come to, because again, that's like something for me from my experience of undergrad. I was just so used to like my professors created these like cozy like (laughs) chasela like (laughs) spaces in their uh in the offices and you'd like go and you'd walk into the psych sanctuary you know like okay I can go tell them about like I'm really worried about my thesis I'm you know I don't understand this thing you know And you feel like it's a place that you can go to and like and like be a bit more open Uh, and obviously like I in saying this like professors are not therapists like (laughs) we're not here to like you know help you deal with like those kind of elements but we are here to help you like my job is to help you cultivate yourself to become a a citizen of the you know of of the world a community and to be a good participant in society that's my job um and i i I hope that that we can we'll have more spaces to do that
0: (laughs) yeah i can imagine totally um well you are a teacher of course but have you ever thought about what you would do if you would not become a teacher
1: oh yeah i mean so uh i mean i wasn't a teacher always like i i was a filmmaker and i I still i still try to do that stuff in my in my the side time that i don't have um (laughs) but i yeah so i mean for several years after undergrad and during the end of undergrad i was i i have a feature that feature film that has traveled the festival circuit and done very well and we're trying to get it um try to get a new licensing deal for it again. I, I worked, um, I did my internship at AMZ Networks for anybody who's a fan of Mad Men or, um, you know, The Walking Dead. Um, that was where I, I did my internship, which was very fun and did a lot of shredding, uh, <laughs> but also a lot of really fun stuff. I had, did a lot of writing for them, which was really cool. Um And yeah, I did, I shot, we shot a lot of like, I had a production company and we shot a lot of like uh, music videos that were, premiered on pitchfork and like very indie places like that it was was really fun it was also a lot of work and um i spent way too much time handling the accounting and not enough to do the creative so that's why i went back to school uh, to do the university track um because for me film is about the the creative side of it and i i doing it as a job or as a career took away the fun it it became exhausting
0: yeah then it wasn't a hobby anymore but just yeah, work <laughs> yeah
1: it was for me it's storytelling and it's also storytelling and community and that's my problem as i'm not i am not an independent like run around by myself with a camera and tell stories like for me it's you know i was working with i'm a producer that's what my my training is as so my job is to bring together people from all different sort of walks of life who have different experiences you know to come together to create a crew to tell a story together and my job is the facilitation of that and like helping cultivate the vision and so that's what I really miss. And I still want to figure out how to do that once I, once I get a permanent contract here, yes. that's my goal is get a permanent contract and then figure out also how I can take like what I'm doing theoretically with my research and actually like turn it into not just documentaries. I'm not really interested in making documentaries. Documentaries are great, but that's not what I want to do. I want to actually tell, tell stories again that are um, informed by the ideas that I'm interested
0: in. So yeah, that's a very nice way to looking at it. And um, if you go a bit further with that, where would you see yourself in 10 years? Oh, God. It's a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm actually... I mean,
1: you're in a. This is going to be an irritating answer, but I've always... I've spent so much of my life trying to plan ahead 5-10 years. And I think one of the things I've learned during this pandemic is just to stop doing that. Because um, I've had so many visions of myself, like... know I have so many friends who are married with kids and like part of me thought that that was where I was going to be and um instead I'm (laughs) I'm I'm here and then I've moved to a completely new country and you know kind of shifted careers and things like that and I just everything has like a lot of times things just have not planned out quite how I expected them and the hardest part has been when you have these expectations and you're and then you have to sort of like process through like this is not happening the way that I wanted it to and so I think it's good to have aspirations and I do but I you know I've I've actually let go of a lot of like I guess I have fuzzy big aspirations in terms of like you know writing books and I have some sort of like dream projects that I would love to work on but I've actually I think the pandemic has taught me just let go and and like not worry about 10 years not worry about five years but worry about like I, I I will say that this is also going to sound like such a fuzzy answer, but like <laughs> I'm more interested now in like the kind of person I want to be in 10 years. And I like, so I don't really, I don't care where I end up with career wise as long as like, as long as I'm earning enough, you know, it's like, that I would like to not be destitute. <laughs> I'd like to have a house, you know, um, well not like not necessarily own a house, but a roof over my head, but I would like to be a more compassionate person. I would like to be somebody who is, has less feelings of imposter syndrome, less insecurities, um, more confident in who I am, more at peace with things. Like, those are the kind of things I would like to...
0: Yeah, I think in the end, that's more important uh, anyways, since, uh, yeah, as you said, leading up towards um, things you expect from yourself in several years, it can only lead to disappointments if you cannot make them true. So I think it's a nice life lesson in there as well
1: yeah and um, it's, it's exciting because if you are open then who knows where life will take you if yeah. i hadn't like allowed myself be open i wouldn't be in the netherlands like and this has been such a cool journey and a
0: cool ride and i love it here so that's most important so uh leading to this life lessons getting back to those lessons uh if any students or listeners who would like to uh, teach later on what kind of ex- advice would you have for them to get started or
1: yeah I mean I would say that teach the the tricky thing here is um if you want to be a university teacher it it's very hard to do that without also being a university research you're doing some sort of research and um and so you have to think through like if if you want to teach do you also want to research or or do you not want to do both of those things um and if you don't there are totally paths to doing just the teaching but that's a very different space and i think it's actually a little bit easier too because it's you do need to get a phd but um actually i don't know about the dutch context but that's that's a whole nother path that i don't know a ton about so i won't speak to that but in terms of like becoming a full university professor the first thing i would say is like is this really what you want because <laughs> it's um like, I, I can't imagine doing anything else but it's an exhausting career and it's it demands a lot out of out of you um i mean the amount of hours that i'm officially supposed to work on teaching is far below what i actually end up doing um and when you're teaching too it's there's you you don't have a clear like okay 8am clock in you know 6pm clock out it's You know, you find yourself answering... You have to try not to answer emails at, you know, 8 p.m. at night or on the weekends. But you find yourself doing it too, especially when students are stressed and if you want them to succeed. Um, It it just, things creep into your personal life in ways um, that they don't, and sometimes in other jobs. um, But it's also extremely rewarding. So in terms of if anybody wants to do it, I would say just also know that the job market is very intense right now. It's very hard to get jobs. So just know, like it will be a struggle. But if you want to do it, um, I think the big thing, you know, is go for a master's degree and just, you know, something that you're interested in and try that out and see if you like it. And then, uh, you know, when you negotiate your entry into the master's degree, ask if it will be opportunities for you to be like a teaching assistant. And you can actually also, while you're an undergrad, you can ask to be a teaching assistant as well and help with grading and marking and also just, sit in and, and 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 to classes and kind of watch and see how what professors are doing and um the other thing is just like meet up with your professors like you know go to the office hours when they have them and professors love to talk about themselves so just <laughs> like you could always like just be like hi can i you know can i buy you coffee and ask you about blah 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 and then they will probably buy you the coffee anyways so you don't and then they'll happily just talk um but I think the more you get to know your professors too, they're the ones that can also point you to good programs and get you connected and teach you things. Um, and the Dutch system is—it's a, a good place because also there's just much more there's resources for learning how to teach as well. And um, but it's a—it's not a walk in the park. So.
0: <laughs> well, that's a nice way uh, to wrap up the conversation. Thank you for advice, for stories, for uh, well being here. And uh, thanks for you guys for listening to our fourth episode of the May Setup podcast. And uh, we'll see you again. (laughs) Thank you.